0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah? How, are you? How am I? I'm not bad. I am not bad. We made it in safe and sound from Mowen Sound, despite what the weather was trying to do to us. Anyone else here have to get up super early and blow snow, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, that's fun, eh? It's winter. I know, I know. It's Canada it's winter, I get it. I totally get it. Like always, it's an honor to be back here at Chalmers Church. Truly, like, I I love coming here to preach. I look forward to it like you wouldn't believe. Last time I was here, I kicked off a book study. We're going to go through the book of Galatians. I gave you some background to the book, some information in case you're ever on Jeopardy. (laughs) And then I gave you uh, some insight into what Paul wrote the book for. I spoke about why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. He wrote it to fight against false teaching that had been creeping its way into the area called Galatia. Uh, This teaching had everything to do with observance to the law of Moses, right? So these these Judaizers were coming in and saying, okay, look, guys, you want to be Christians, you Gentiles, or you're going to have to follow the law of Moses and get circumcised. Bad news for any guy. Paul fights against this by telling us that we're justified by faith. And we're going, to be hitting, we're going to be hitting that nail for a long time, so please get used to it. But the reason is because we need to pound this into our brains and into our hearts. We need to understand this. Look, it's only the true gospel that saves you. The true gospel saves you. And the gospel is that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. All we have to do is simply accept it. It's a free gift. We need to always remember that. I'm going to get real dark here for a bit, but it's because the text actually calls for it, and you'll see at the end. Try to imagine this with me if you can. Jesus just stood before Pilate, sentenced to be flogged and crucified. They lead Jesus off for round one of what's going to be a horrible, horrible death hot out. The sun is oppressive. He's filthy from the dust and the sweat. Dried up blood. Cuts that he sustained while they were moving him from one place to another. They pull him over and they tie him to a post like some animal. They stretch him out. Next they pull out this this whip, it's called the cat of nine tails. It's got a handle with nine long straps, and at the end of each strap is just something else to inflict more pain. There's like balls that helps tenderize the meat of a person's back. There's like shards of pottery. i cut it open, maybe some nails, some hooks. But when the whip hits sits in and, and and then rips the flesh off your back. First lash happens. If you've ever been in a lot of pain before, you know that the first one doesn't really hurt as much as, as you think. It takes a second before the brain to, to clue into just how much pain was just inflicted. The first whip happens and, and by the time the second one happens, it's just Jesus Jesus realizes the full uh, amount of pain that he's going to be in through this. It was just excruciating. Words don't describe. You can't adequately describe how much pain he was in. And he goes through this 40 times, 40 lashes. You know, people have been known to die just from the flogging. By the time you get to lash 40, I mean, what are you even looking at anymore? Just a, a bloody messy pile of human being. After this horrible ordeal, they put a heavy cross on him and make him carry it out of Jerusalem. You know, like if you've ever, ever been in a terrifying situation or, or a situation that was extremely painful, you know, when, when your adrenaline's pumping and, and your endorphins are kicking in and your legs just, they shake hard to stand. Now imagine that after you've been been flogged. Now imagine that after you've been flogged with the weight on your back as you carry it out. His back is ripped open, this rough wood against that, that, that flesh, that raw flesh on his back, and he carries it out until he couldn't carry it anymore and then he falls. And researchers say that falling with a weight like that on your back uh, when you hit the ground would be equivalent to being in a car accident, a head-on collision. So Jesus was just flogged up all night, thirsty. And then he's in this, this car accident. And remember, he's, he's doing this all while people are mocking him. People he's dying to save, they're mocking him and spitting on him and jeering him. The humiliation, the pain. Understand this. It's horrible. Next, Jesus has his hands stretched out, pulled out as far as they can, nails driven through them. And some people say maybe the wrist, either way. Nails driven through them, and then through your feet. Imagine how painful that would be. Imagine just how horrible that is. The rest of Jesus' earthly life. Every breath he takes, he's going to have to take by, by pushing up off the nails through his feet and pulling down with the hands. When you, when you die of crucifixion, you don't die from blood loss. You die from suffocation. Because every breath you take is so painful, eventually your body gives up and says, I can't handle this anymore. You die. This is what Jesus endured. I can't can't imagine a more painful death. I can't. I need you to keep this in mind as we go through our sermon today. Keep this in mind. Keep Jesus' death. Keep the the picture of his death in mind as we go through this this sermon today. And if you brought your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Galatians 2. I'm going to go from 15... All the way to 21. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you. Galatians 2, starting at verse 15. Here we go. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, some background here from chapter 1, verse 11, up to the start of our text today. Paul is giving proof of this doctrine of justification by faith. He's talking about the gospel that he proclaimed to the Galatians, which was again justification by faith. He gives a history lesson as evidence for this doctrine. And then he talks about how he confronted Peter, the great apostle because of this very issue he really wants the Galatians to know and to understand uh, that they're saved by faith not by works they're saved by faith not by works of the law he spent so much time drilling this into them and if it was important for the Galatians to know then then understand that for you it's just as important for you to know right not just know because we can know things in our mind But to fully embrace, to embrace it in our hearts, you're justified by faith. Justified by faith. The reason why I have skipped uh, chapter 1, verse 11 through 2, verse 14, is because of this fact. Paul is giving an extensive testimony to support this doctrine. If you read it, you can see it's just him. He's giving a history lesson. He's giving a testimony as to why we can know for certain that we're saved by faith and not by works. And so, really, I just summed it all up there for you. It's a good thing to read, though. You know, sometimes you'll go through letters of Paul, and you'll get stuck on on phrases, and things seem choppy and hard to understand. But if you read this section, you can see it flows really well. He's just given a history. Check this out. This is how you know. This is how you know. This is how you know. Oh, and by the way, I even got in a fight with Peter over it. I'm going to stop here for one quick second. Do you guys know what the the term justified means? Do you know what that means? Everyone's pretty biblically literate in here. Yeah. So it's a legal term. To be justified is a legal term. It means that uh, in the sight of God, you're declared innocent or righteous. Right? You could also use the term salvation, maybe. We're saved by by faith. Uh, But justified is a legal term, meaning that the God of the universe saw fit to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, to pay the penalty for what we owed for our sin. Justified. We're justified by faith. We're made righteous in the sight of God because we place our faith in his son. So let's look at verse 15 now. Go right into the text here. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Like, that's us, right? We're Gentiles. We're the sinners he's talking about here. Verse 16. That we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. So, as you read through, you can see that this is actually Paul in his confrontation with Peter. This is part of his confrontation. It's all part of the speech, which... Paul spoke against Peter in the city of Antioch. And now, where am I getting that from? If you look at chapter 2, verse 11, you can see it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. So Peter comes to Antioch, I don't know, maybe to check out the state of the church, see how everything's going. When he first gets there, he's, he's, he's hanging out with, with everyone, right? The Jews and Gentiles are all kind of hanging out, mixing together, eating meals together, having a great old time. And then these people come, these Judaizers. It doesn't say exactly who they are. That's most likely who it is. But they come and they start criticizing Peter for hanging out with Gentiles because Jews weren't supposed to eat with Gentiles. And so what's Peter do? Well, he gives in to the pressure. He backs off. Stops hanging out with them as much. And Paul sees what's going on here, and he goes right after him. He goes after him like a bulldog. And you see a couple things from this confrontation. The first, that, the first is that clearly Paul was equal with Peter, right? A lot of the early church looked at Peter like, oh, he's, the, he's the rock. But Paul directly confronts him in front of everyone, showing that he is indeed equal. The second is that it's important to know that there are no favorites in the church. Jews or Gentiles, that's what this is all about. There's no favorites in the church Please, 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 don't pick and choose who you're going to love here. Please don't do that. Don't pick and choose who you're going to invest in and who you're going to talk to. That's wrong. Understand that, that all of us here are on equal ground. We're all equally justified and saved by the, the same thing. That's faith in Christ. All of us. When you create two classes of people, those who are in and those who are out, what you do is you alienate like up to half the church or anyone who's coming in. You ever gone into a group of people, maybe it was a new school or something like that, and you knew you didn't fit in? You ever, you ever had that happen? How'd that feel? Imagine that's what happens in your church. It's wrong. It's wrong. Not saying you do that. I'm saying be on guard. When you start to see new people come into this church, in the Chalmers church right here, when you start to see new people come in, go up and talk to them. Muster up whatever courage you need to. Go up and talk to them. Extend a hand. Hey, what's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? Hey. Would you like to come over for a meal? Now, me and my, my family have come here a few times now, and, and praise God, people have invited us over for meals. It's been great. But do you do that to the average person who walks to the back door and just sits in a pew? Or is it just me? Because I'm up here preaching and blabbing. I believe that God has big things for this church. I'll tell you right now: if you don't openly welcome people when they come through the doors, they will just as quickly go back out and never come back. Oh, that Chalmers Church, man! They they preach a good word, but you know what? No one even loved me there. No one ever called me. No one, no one, no one asked how I was doing. No one even knows my name. Don't do that, guys. For whatever God has in store. For the next season of Chalmers Church, make sure that hospitality fits its way into, into your everyday life, and especially when you're showing up here on Sunday mornings. Paul starts off with this statement We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's being kind of tongue in cheek, right? Because this is what the Jews thought. All oh, those are Gentile sinners. They're filthy. We can't hang out with them. He's showing in graphic words what the Jews were thinking in their heart. But then he goes and says that we're all, Jew and Gentile, justified by the exact same thing. Faith. doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It doesn't matter uh, how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter if, if you were born a beggar or the king of England. Everyone is justified by the exact same thing. And you know what? You know what's amazing? God is just as happy when, when a, a low-life, drug-addicted scumbag turns to him in faith as when Kanye West does. I mean, if you guys have been watching the news, we all know about Kanye West, right? He's just as happy. Because that's his creation. Those are, those are, those are people that he made in his image. And when they turn to him, that's exciting. It's good news. Verse 16 goes on to say, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I really want to double down on this phrase here. By works of the law, no one will be justified. So let me ask you, who is saved by doing good works? Who? No one. You're right. No one. No one is saved by doing good works. But how often we in our hearts still try to add to it? And how often our hearts want to go there? Our human nature wants to do something to help to try to save ourselves. It just doesn't work that way. We can't. Our justification or salvation, if you want to use that term, it's all a free gift. It's all a free gift that we simply accept. We accept it by faith. I place my faith in Christ. That is me accepting this free gift. That's how you're saved. Is that not good news? I mean, how often do you get like a real free gift? I mean, how often is something just, here you go, I love you, here you go? is it that not amazing? Verse 17, but if, our, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Okay, So Paul is tackling a common issue that we have in the church even right now. Do Christians, should Christians, can Christians continue to sin after they come to Christ? Right? I know some people that do take it as a a license to do whatever they want. I'm saved. I'm justified by faith, not by works. Right? It's the charge that Paul's expecting to come at him, right? He's expecting his first century hearers to say, Oh, but you guys just do whatever you want then, okay? You can continue sinning by the Judaizers. That's who would be leveling this charge against, them, the Judaizers. Justified by faith and not by keeping the law, then it doesn't matter what we do as Christians. But... When we place our faith in Christ, we at the exact same time also die to sin. You may not have felt it happening, but it did. When you placed your faith in Christ, something in the invisible world at the exact same time happened, you also died to sin. I get that from Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is what Paul's talking about when he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If he he tore down the sin when he placed his faith in Christ, and that's what we did too. We tore down that sin when we, when we placed our faith in Christ. But if we rebuild it again, we go right back to the same old stuff we used to do, like a a dog returns to its vomit, as as, as Solomon says, then we prove that, that either we're not really in Christ or we have no idea or understanding what it means to be a Christian. I know that's harsh, right? But now I'm going to give you some loving pastory stuff. I want to comfort you here for a minute. Listen. We will all make mistakes. It's going to happen. We will all make mistakes. I'm going to sin. I don't know what or when or how. But I can guarantee you that before this man dies, I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to sin again, right? You understand? But what happens after we sin? That's what makes the difference. Do we confess it? Do we repent of it and, like, and try to turn away from it? Does it grieve us? Or do we just say, meh, live and let live. I'm going to do whatever I want. But what happens when we sin? There's a big difference between someone who, who makes a mistake and repents and says, Oh, Lord, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick and tired of doing this, Lord. Would you please help me? And someone who goes, nope, it's my identity, I'm gonna gonna fall headlong into that because that's the way I'm going. There's a big difference. As Christians, when we make mistakes, we repent, we turn, we try not to do it again, understanding that, of course, we're gonna make mistakes and we'll fall at some point. Praise God, because because the Bible says that, that, that Christ died for our sins, past, present, and future. He knew we were gonna make mistakes. He knew it, and His blood covers that if we've placed our faith in Him. And if we've placed our faith in Him, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, we will be grieved over sin. We'll feel it, and we won't want it in our lives. When I came to Christ, right, I was a bad drug addict. And what happened was he, he changed my desires. I, I can't explain it, Right? He changed my desires. I simply didn't want to do it anymore. Right? I didn't have to struggle for a long time. I knew it was wrong. I didn't want to do it anymore. He changed my desires. That's the new creation. When you come to Christ, you may still struggle with some stuff, but but your heart all of a sudden is oriented away from it. You know what's wrong. You don't want to do it. It's good evidence that the Holy Spirit's in your heart and He's working. It's good news. We stop sinning not to save ourselves, but because we, in fact, are saved. Does that make sense? Verse 19, moving right along here. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul had decided, or Paul had died to the law. He he no longer lived for the law, trying to fulfill all its requirements, all its demands in order to be made righteous. He wasn't doing that anymore. He died to that. He died to the law so that he could live for God. Sometimes we have to do that. By the way, like, as I'm sitting there trying to, trying to write through this, I, I came across that. I'm like, whoa, Paul, come on. You've got to be able to say that easier. <laughs> like, that's a mouthful. Anyway, it's the word of God. I can't, I can't argue that's what's there. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, this is a great memory verse. It's one of those ones you stick in your back pocket and carry it around as you go. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. When we come to Christ, when we place our faith in him, the old us dies. Like the old us. is dead. Right? The man I was before I came to Christ, that that guy's dead and gone. I'm not that guy anymore we're born again, right We died now we're born again when we come to Christ, the old person dies, and we're now made alive because of the faith that we have in Christ and this is good news for us, you know before we came to Christ, we were controlled by our sinful nature. you know what I mean I don't know if you guys remember those days you were controlled by it you had no you couldn't you couldn't stop it, you couldn't do anything you were just was one thing to the next. You'd quit smoking crack, you'd be drinking all the time. right? You'd quit this sin and you'd go to the next one. Why? Because you were controlled by sin. When we come to Christ, he sets us free. Romans 6.18 says you've been set free from sin. We're now set free from it. It doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with it, but what it does mean is that that sin no longer can control you. You're not a slave to it anymore. You can walk away from it. We choose to sin, we make mistakes, yes, but we are not controlled by it. The devil doesn't control us. Sin doesn't control us anymore. We're now controlled, indwelt, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Son of God is the one who's leading us along now. That's good news. Listen, listen, listen. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what that deep sin in your heart is, that thing that you know is wrong, and you keep trying, but you keep failing, You know, and and, and it drives you nuts. I don't know what it is in your heart. But what you need to understand is that you are not controlled by your sin anymore. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are not a slave to your sin. You can walk away from that. It may be hard. It may be so unbelievably hard that at times you'll want to rip your hair out, pull off your skin, and do whatever else it takes. But listen, understand that you are not a slave to it anymore. And that's good news. That's really good news. There's freedom. You're free. You have been set free from sin. You're free. How amazing is that? It's what Paul is getting at in the rest of verse 20 when it says, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we still have this, this fleshly body. We still have this whole thing. As Paul says, but this, this but we live this earthly life in faith. We now live this earthly life in faith because we've placed our faith in Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now let that one sink in for a minute. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Daryl. Who loved Daryl and gave himself for Daryl. Who loved Dave and gave himself for Dave. You know, this is past tense. He loved you before the foundations of the world. Roger, he loved you and gave himself for you. For you. He knew it. For you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And because he knew you and loved you before the foundations of the world, he knew every every mistake you were going to make. He knew every failure, every defeat, every victory. He loved you. He gave himself for you. Is that not amazing, guys? Come on now. Come on. Praise God. He loved you and gave himself for you. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, here it is, then Christ died for no Purpose. There it is, folks. That's the big idea. Everything Paul's talking about, if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let that sink in as Christ is dying on the cross, hands stretched out, bloody, beaten, just a, just a, just a terrible mess. As he's dying... If we could keep the law, if we could be good enough, all of that was for no purpose. It was just a terrible tragedy. Why It's so important that we don't try to add to faith works of the law. It's so important that you don't try to save yourself with your good deeds. It's not going to work. Christ didn't die for no purpose. But praise God. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. Christ's death is all that needed to happen for me to be justified, for you to be justified. Christ's death is all that needed to happen for you to be justified. It's all that needed to happen, it's already done. Christ dies on the cross. He takes our place. The death that we deserve to die, He dies in our place. And now all we have to do is simply put our faith in Him. And all our sins, past, present, future, they're all atoned for. They're all dealt with. We're made righteous. We are justified. We are made righteous before God because of what Christ did. And there's nothing you can do to add to it because what He did was perfect. That's the good news. Christ loved us and died for us. He paid our debt. We're free from the law. Just accept it. So, I don't know where everyone's at with Christ today, but I will say this. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, you can't remember a time in your life when you've accepted the free gift of life, then right now is the time. Don't leave this room without knowing that you are justified, that you are made righteous, that you are saved. Don't leave this room without that. Understand, it's a free gift. And I know I'm saying this to a room full of people who probably grew up in the church. I don't care. It doesn't mean that you're saved. If you've never placed your faith in Christ. This is the time. I don't know how you want to do it, if you want to do it under your breath, if you want to bow your head, if you want to pray. I'm going to pray. When we're done, you can pray. That's a great time. But don't leave this room without the full assurance that you place your faith in Christ. For those of you who have been saints for a long time, don't leave this room thinking that somehow you can help save yourself. Walk out of this building with your head held high because Christ died, loved you, and died for you in your place for your sin, and there's nothing you need to do. You already are loved. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave yourself for us. I thank you that you died the death we deserved. You paid our debt. And we're justified simply by faith. Because I'm not good enough to be able to keep the law. I'm not good enough to be able to add to what I have anything. I thank you that it's done. Lord, for hearts here who have never trusted you, Lord, would would they not leave here without without placing their faith in you? And remind us continually. We can't add to what you already did. What you did was perfect. It was awesome. there's, There's nothing better. And we're simply accepting it. Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Lord, may we reach out to our friends, neighbors, coworkers this week. May we welcome people, hospitality. May we love the stranger. And Holy Spirit, would you bless this church with growth and with fruit. Many, many people meeting you. Mm -hmm. Amen.